Hey everybody, welcome to Not Somali Mormon Podcast. Welcome, welcome. This is Sarah. And this is Katie. And we have a very special guest today, one of my dear friends, Lisa. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, Lisa. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> Welcome, sister. Are you new to the ward? Could you please stand up and introduce yourself? We want to know about you. Hi, yes. I'm Sister Young. Uh, Wow, I haven't called myself that in a long time. But yes, Sister Young is my name. And yes, I am Mormon royalty, direct descendant. Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah, unfortunately. Of Mr. Brigham? Of the Briggs himself. Wow. Wow. I've got a good, strong, racist, you know, (laughs) genealogy. So, (laughs) Oh, lovely. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Lovely. Um, mm -hmm. I was just going to say, so listeners, like the story behind... Our friendship, I met Lisa in Berlin, what, four years ago? Five years ago. Oh, no, actually, this is, it was like six years ago. Or no, uh, even more. Yeah, really? six, six and a half, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, well, obviously, math is not my strong suit, but also, <laughs> my memory is just shit these days. So, six years ago. Um, and Lisa was a missionary in Berlin, so that's how I met her, and I was like, oh my god, she's actually cool, because most missionaries are like, ugh, boring, and I just don't <laughs> want to chat with, and yeah, Lisa was cool, and we were hanging out with my, well, both of our friends, Celine, and she's French, and I just remember the first thing about Lisa was that she was obsessed with French, <laughs> like, the <laughs> language, it was like, Celine, I just want to be your friend, and I was like, who is this girl, like, she seems cool, and she's a missionary, tell me more, then fast forward to, like, three years later, which, again, my math is, like, really bad, and my timeline, so maybe it was four or five years ago, I left the church and went to see Lisa in New York City, and she introduced me to the great thing called weed, and my first time in Central Park. So that is our story. You're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) And also all the sex questions. So anytime I had a question about anything sexual, which I hope you don't mind me saying this on the podcast, maybe I... No, it's all right. Okay, I'd be like, Lisa, this is what just happened right now. Please tell me more about this. Or like, oh my God, I just experienced this for the first time. Is that normal? (laughs) Is it not? This is what I want to do. Is that normal? Or is that (laughs) So that is our friendship from missionary, non-missionary friendship to ex-Mormon smoking pot and talking about sex. Missionary position friendship. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, we've been wanting to do an episode about missionaries and missionary work and all that for a long time, but uh, we haven't talked about it because we wanted to have Lisa on the show, and we finally got her on so she can tell us about um, what it was like to be a Mormon missionary. Woo. Yeah, and a sister, which I think is like an extra like layer on top of that. Right, totally. Um, 
Yeah, so listeners, if you don't know, like, they call missionaries, those, the Mormon missionaries you see out, the the men are called elder, and then whatever their last name is, and the women are called sister, and whatever their last name is. So, yeah. Um, actually, this just reminded me, I was, like, working on my book yesterday, and we, we went to a cafe, and we're, like, anyways, like, we were working together, and then I was, like, coming up, I was, like, trying to explain this whole missionary concept in the book, I was, like... So the elders are, like, male missionaries are called elder in their last name, and then the women are called sister in their last name. And then in my head, I remember thinking, like, well, that's fucked up. Why are they called brother, or, like, I don't know, yeah, brother in their last name. Why do they get called elder, and the sisters are just sisters? Because they have a wiener, Sarah. They're important. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, and uh, I'll definitely get into this, you know, more, but... That power dynamic of having, like, you when I went out, it was, you had to be 21 in order to go on a mission, and um, so all of the sisters were either 21 or older. I think the oldest one we had was 28, and then we had these, you know, 19, 20, and 21-year-old boys that were kind of over us, and we had to defer to them on, like, everything. They had to take all of our numbers. They, they had to do the interviews for our, the baptismal interviews and, of course, baptize, like, our, um, the people we were teaching. And, uh, yeah, and they could, like, make decisions that would affect what we did or how we did our work. So, that's awesome. <laughs> wow. That's why they're elders. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what, though? I never, ugh, I never even thought about that connection until you just said it. The fact that, like, you guys as a sister missionary would do all this work, you know, I'm doing like, and you know, getting investigators to be baptized. And then you have to be like, Oh, I can't baptize you. This guy has to do it. Like yeah. I never even and, made that connection. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when they go, then we have to also say, you know, before they're baptized, like you have to be interviewed by, uh, you know, one of these young men and they would ask them, you know, sexually explicit questions about the law of chastity. I remember I had one, um, I, I hate using the word investigator, but I guess if we're going to use their lingo, <laughs> one investigator, <laughs> she had told us when we were um, teaching her that she had had five abortions. And it was because she was from Romania. And um, every time she got pregnant, it was like a danger to her life. So the doctor just kept having to abort them. And apparently she didn't have access to contraception. So anyway, she, but she said that to us, like, in a, I'm not ashamed, you know, mm-hmm. like it was hard, but like it had to be done for my health. And yeah. then the thing was, it was this whole controversy on if she could even be baptized. Wow. Cause I guess that's a rule if they've had an abortion that can be grounds for them not getting baptized, yeah. So she had to, like, go into an interview with her mission president, and then, like, the one of the other, like, young elders had to also, like, talk to her. And I was just like, this is humiliating. Wow. Oh, my God. I had no idea that. I mean, I think, actually, part of my subconscious did know that because when you said it, it was kind of, like, shocking. But then I remember hearing that, that if you've had an abortion that you can't get baptized or either it's, like, a really big process, like, even more so than yeah. normal. Mm-hmm. Ugh, fucking hell. I mean, that's just, like, a prime example of the sexism in the church, but. Yeah. Oh, for gross. sure. Wow. Yeah. 
So maybe we can do like step by step of like, because we do have quite a few listeners who didn't grow up in the Mormon church. So when they say like mission, they're like, what, what does that really mean? The two, because usually they associate with the guys in the suit and a tie and like a name badge. But maybe we can just like start off with like the essentials, like what exactly it is, like the age limit you kind of talked about already and what it requires, like your limitations, all of that stuff. And then we could go into stories if you wanted. Yeah, how you get your yeah. calling and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I guess <laughs> the easiest way to start, especially for people who uh, they're not as familiar with the church, is just to look at, like, the musical Book of Mormon. <laughs> or perhaps you've seen, like, you know, people on the street with, like, the name tag. So it's just this, like, weird not technically required but socially required thing we have to do in the church to maintain good standing is when you're young uh you need to or they want you to commit you know a significant period of time to preaching the gospel spreading the word and uh they've changed the age so um for Men who like to go, or I should say boys, the age is now 18 that they can go. And for girls, they they did lower it to 19. But it was at 21 before, as I said, because the idea was that it's, it's more of a requirement for men than it is for women because our first priority as women is to get married. Exactly. So I guess they figured that if you're single and... Uh, like at 21 that it was like okay fine if you want to go you can <laughs> and that was definitely the sentiment uh, that was uh, shown to me um, but yeah so uh, you have to go through a series of like interviews with your local like authorities and then eventually they submit your paperwork you also used to receive a letter in the mail and apparently now they're they're going green because it's an email that oh, you received. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know <laughs> that. I just that I remember the whole thing of like the missionaries getting the their calling in the mail, and then they invite all their friends and family over to, to open it. <laughs> Which yeah. can be such an exciting or humiliating thing, right? Yeah, right. you make it into a party, and then you open it, and you're like, "I'm going to Iowa," and then everyone. Like, <laughs> Oh, and then they have to act like excited for you. Right, right. (laughs) I've seen those before, though. Oh, shit. Like, I knew a guy who was like, he threw this party and was like so excited. It was like, where are you going? Where are you going? And it was like, Provo, Utah. (laughs) Yeah. Since they need so many missionaries there. I know, right? Yeah, it's, it's frustrating. But, yeah, so that's what we do. We throw these parties, and then it's the crapshoot, like, where you're going to go. <laughs> and uh, I, so I was a French major. That's why I was so obsessed with our friend Celine on my mission, because <laughs> I had learned French, and I wasn't sure if I was going to go to a French-speaking place, but I obviously that's kind of the hope, because that means when I come back to finish my degree because I I hadn't graduated at that point um that I'd be like oh yeah I'd be like really great in French whatever but no I open it and it's Germany and I was like oh god so (laughs) oh also Uh, 
<laughs> yeah. Sorry to interrupt before you keep going with your story, but, like, maybe you can tell us, like, what made you decide to go on a mission? Like, did you feel pressured into going, or, like, what was it that made you want to go on a mission? Um, I think when, when I really look back at it, a lot of it had to do with making my family happy, because... I had become very involved in Mormon feminism, and it was something that was making my family nervous. Like, you know, obviously, they're like, oh, she's a feminist, so that means all these things about her. And I wanted to be like, no, I'm still, you know, very Mormon. And it also just, of the things you can do as a Mormon woman, um, felt like a good choice because there are very few leadership opportunities that we get to have in other things we get to experience, so going on a mission would kind of, um, you know, fulfill that for me in a lot of ways, um, and, you know, of course, at the time, I also thought, you know, I think this is what God wants me to do, so there right. was an element of that, but I think the biggest reason really was just to make my family happy, <laughs> like, well, proud of me, because they just, you know, weren't, so, uh, and it worked, like, when, when my parents found out that I was going to, that I decided to go on a mission, like, they were very, very, very happy. So, and then that made me feel good. So I was like, yeah, okay, I'll just keep doing this, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I At that time, I just could not imagine a life not being in the church. Like, that wasn't on my radar. That wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, so, like, what are, you know, some things that I can do to kind of, I don't know make like decide my narrative I guess yeah no and I think you hit on something really important or something that I can relate to as well is that whole idea of like not being able to imagine life outside of the church like I was having this conversation with my boy the other day just saying like I don't feel like you really comprehend this like when I was in the church like I could not imagine any other life outside of the church. Like, for me, it was like I was in it to win it. Like, there was no way I would ever leave the church. Like, was never even a question in mind. Like, I was just like, you know what? This is just kind of the hand life dealt me. And, like, I'm just going to be on this path forever. Like, there's no getting out of it. Like, this is it. So it's kind of interesting what you're saying. Like, you kind of just do these things in the church, maybe because you feel pressure, maybe you want to make your family proud or your bishop or you're supposed to do these steps but it's also because you don't really see another option like there's not this oh you could just do your own thing like that's not really in the minds of anyone who's a molly mormon or a devout mormon or anything like that it's not really an option yeah right yeah and i would also say like at least as a woman i still had a choice to some extent but you know there's so many um boys and young men that don't want to go they have no desire it's not something that's like in their radar or they would love to focus their time energy and money on something else like school or a job and they feel like they can't because the mission really is uh almost required they don't like to say it's required but technically it is like required yeah uh, for men and so I really feel for a lot of those um you like young men that were really like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. And here I am because if I don't, I, no one will like 
people will ostracize me okay. even if they say they won't they totally they will do. or yeah. it'll it makes it harder to get married and you know things yeah. like that so many women mormon women they even will say out loud like proudly they'll say i won't even date a guy who's not a returned missionary mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's sure, pretty, yeah. pretty gross <laughs> Well, and even speaking of that, too, we had um, a listener send us a message the other day, which obviously I'm not going to give any of the details, but she was just saying that, like, she's frustrated and venting to us because her boyfriend is going on a mission and she doesn't want him to go and he doesn't want to go, but he feels the pressure that he has to. And so, again, this whole idea of, like, what you're saying that oftentimes, well, I mean, I don't know how the percentage of how many times, like, men actually want to go on the mission versus that they don't. But, like, in general, I've heard it more times than a, than I think would consider, oh, my God, I can't speak. Anyways, basically saying that, like, <laughs> like, the guys do feel this pressure to go even though they don't want to go. Or, like, they're bribed into going. I knew a few guy friends who was like, oh, yeah. I get a brand new car if I go. Or, like, my parents will pay for my university if I go on a mission. Or, like. I've heard that a lot. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also now that they've, so they lowered the age to make it easier so that instead of when it was 19 for men, then they could go to like a year of school and then go. But now that they made it 18, I think the idea is that it's like right, right, like right out of high school, you just zip on through. Completely. And also for women, I mean, I'm not sure because I'm not as entrenched in the culture, but I think for a while, um, when they did change the age to 19 for um, women, that maybe there was also sort of a shift in like, oh, well, it's young enough that they're definitely not going to be married by then, or probably not, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe there's also more of a pressure for young women to go, even though they never had planned on doing that previously. So um, I would be interested if anyone else has more of an idea, if they feel like that that pressure is also being put more on women now that the age is younger, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Or I would also say, too, I experienced as I got up in my older years in the Mormon church being 28, like that was often a question I received quite, you know, frequently from Mormon guys, especially like, oh, well, you're 28 or you're 27. Like, did you, did you went on a mission, right? And I was like, no. Oh, so what have you been doing and I was like uh life in my career like that's what I decided to do and I was like oh kind of like the opposite you know where the women had this expectation for men to go on a mission or be a return missionary I feel like it was kind of the same thing like if you're older in the church and not married it was kind of like well you should have gone on a mission then like you weren't married why didn't you go on a mission instead of doing your career or whatever you know right yeah definitely sure so anyway, after you get your the... yeah, after you get your call <laughs> in the mail, then uh, it tells you when you start, right? And you go to the missionary training center. Yes. So you receive this letter that tells you where you're going and also the language you're going to be learning. So found out I was going to Berlin, which is even though it definitely wasn't French speaking, I was like. You know, thank God I'm going out of the U.S. Because for <laughs> for a lot of people, though, this is actually, like, legitimately an amazing way to get out of your own world and to be able to travel. And the church, you know, even though it can be, like, a pretty hefty cost for a lot of people per month, 
ultimately it is subsidized and is a lot cheaper to go on a mission than to like um, have traveled on your own. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it could have easily been Iowa and it wasn't. So <laughs> I was grateful to just not be in America right yep. for a year and a half because at least if we're gonna do this we're gonna make it interesting <laughs> so uh yeah and then I reported to the MTC on October 21st I think and it's the one is it the one 2010 wait, so, oh sorry I keep interrupting 2010 was it the MTC in Provo or the one in London because I know that mm. like I can't remember how it works <laughs> It's the one in Provo, because the one in London, I think, is mostly for European uh, oh. missionaries that are training to stay in Europe somewhere, but they go to the London MTC. I just got sent to the one in Provo, Utah, so, yeah. Oh. And from there, you just, um, that's where you vow to, like, immediately stop contact with your family you're only allowed to either write letters or email them once a week and even then you have like a time limit that you can email and uh you're put into this like pretty intense language training like from the get-go everything was in German for the most part um so uh they just kind of like throw you right in which you know is actually good for that but um depending on what language you're learning or if you're learning a language at all determines the time you're there so I think if if you're there for if you're like if you are already a native English speaker and you're going somewhere else that speaks English you don't stay there very long it's like two or three weeks um I was there for nine weeks so And yeah. with those language, like learning learning the language, you also learn, like, lessons that you're going to be teaching the investigators, right? Yeah, so you learn uh, all of the very structured lessons out of this manual they created called Preach My Gospel. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so you practice on each other. But we're, we're learning the lessons, like, how, like, obviously you want to, like, get good at uh, understanding the material so there was an aspect to that but a lot of times it was just like memorizing how to say them in another language gotcha (laughs) uh, for sure and then they had like other spiritual components but yeah and it was kind of like a dorm type situation like you're put into these rooms that have uh four bunk beds so there's like eight people in there right did I do the math right yeah (laughs) don't ask me (laughs) yeah and then you're on this like this section this floor with like all these other people and they try to group you also according to language so um I know actually I mean I had some like two of the bunk beds were German speakers and then two the other two of the bunk beds were like these missionaries going to the Philippines so that was a little confusing but um (laughs) we did we did mostly, they, they like, try to keep you in your group so that you, like, practice German with each other and bond with each other, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, of course, the elders are on, like, a different building. Yeah, I was just uh, going to yeah. say it's separated by gender, right? <laughs> uh, yes, of course. <laughs> Very <laughs> much so. <laughs> no, on the, 
is be an action we are getting. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I didn't see me personally, but I'm not going to say that it's never happened. Um, but yeah, so, and then you have like, it's like your own little place there because you do not leave this center uh, for the entirety of your training. And so you have like a barber shop there and the place, like they have a cafeteria where you eat and they have, you know, a store there and stuff like that. So they, they just make your own little life there. That's and so after nine crazy. weeks, you're just like, know that place from top to bottom. Yeah, that's so crazy when you, like, really step back and think about it, how they separate you from your family and society, and it's just like, you're sequestered for nine weeks just in this one building. It's pretty crazy. Right, well, it's like basically the same people, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, like, because I remember seeing it when I went to BYU, so, like, listeners, like, this MTC, the one in Provo, is, like, just, it's basically on the campus. Like, it's just up the hill, right? Right across from the temple. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. So, if you're going to classes and you're driving maybe a different route, like, you always pass by. And I remember, like, driving, because, like, you know, me being a Molly Mormon was like, I'm going to drive by the temple today to get inspiration or revelation. <laughs> so, I'm going to take a little drive around. And then you see, like, all of these missionaries, like, going for walks or whatever, or just, like, you know, family members dropping off their loved ones at the MTC. And I was like, maybe I'll go on a mission one day. <laughs> like, you know, you feel all these feelings, and the temple is right there, and the university is also, like, right there as well. So it's all combined into one, basically. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, and was yeah. your, isn't your, like, daily structure totally like outlined for you even when you wake up and go to bed and everything like that yeah so as a missionary even in like what they call the field so wherever you're supposed to end up um they try to instill that in you in the training center obviously so the missionary schedule is to um wake up at 6 30 and you're supposed to exercise for a half hour then you have like an hour to eat breakfast from seven to eight and then from eight to ten the first hour from 8 to 9 is personal study, and then 9 to 10 is companion study, because as a missionary, you're assigned to a companion, they call them, which is a person that stays with you. They have to be within ear and eye shot of you at all times. Um, <laughs> some some people took that literally. Like, I, I did have a companion once in Germany who would, like, keep the bathroom door open, which I thought was, like, no. What? Wow. Yeah. I was, like, no, no, no. This is fine. I don't want to see you. But anyway, <laughs> so. I would have been all about that. I'd been, like, let's have a chat while I'm taking a shit. I have a lot of things to say. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you get to a point where you're very comfortable with some people, but then other times you're just, like. Also, I should say, you could be there you could be companions with your most favorite person in the entire world, but after at least the minimum you're with someone is six weeks. So at least six weeks of constantly being around each other, you will drive each other up the fucking wall. <laughs> you will hate this person most likely by the end of your time, but also have like a deeper respect. <laughs> it is it is just Do you the, most intense bonding experience you could ever have (laughs) do you and the companion do you even sleep in the same room yes there's a part in the missionary handbook that explicitly states that you must sleep in the same room but not in the same bed and I'm quoting that word for word wow (laughs) oh my god 
Oh, yeah. my God. So you, you have to sleep in the same room and be in the same room as much as possible. Ugh. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Like, literally, so, even if you wanted to masturbate, there's no possible way, like... No, like, legit. Think that's I, hard there think? is a way. I have masturbated on my mission. I will <laughs> no! <say that. laughs> yes, Lisa, yes. Yes. <laughs> Oh there is always a way. Please <laughs> There's tell. There's a shower. There's waiting until your companion has gone to sleep. Like, there's lot. You learn how to be quiet. It is possible. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Have and learned? I'm just going to say this for all the women, because for sure, we have all done it. You know, I'm maybe some of my, like, companions are going to be, like, super shocked if they ever listen to this. But just ask any young male missionary. Oh, right. I'm sure. All of them have masturbated in the bathroom while their companion was eating breakfast. Thousand percent. There's no (laughs) way that can happen. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah. And then instantly felt guilt. Although, it's kind of not to sidetrack, but just out of curiosity, when you did do that on your mission, did you ever feel guilt? Or was it like you just didn't feel anything at all? I would say that masturbation itself. As uh, you've done like a whole thing on that, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it deserves its whole episode because that was the number one like reason that I developed so much self hatred for myself growing up. And especially, you know, being a member of the church. And so, obviously, on the mission where you think it's even more intense because the idea is that you're a literal servant of God and you're supposed to be like, on a higher level and you mm-hmm. still feel like the these you know needs and sensations and you when you do it yeah it's just there's nothing worse you know that you failed god you've broken all of your covenants you know to god and to all the people that you serve and you're a dirty person and you're terrible you're not worth it you know i could just go on and on but like um yeah and then on the flip side of that me coming to terms with masturbation post-mission was actually, like, the best thing I could have ever done for my life. Really? Yeah. Like, I think when you learn how to, like, love and you accept yourself and also realize that you're not a terrible, dirty person, mm-hmm. um, you start... And also realize that you're not the only person on earth doing this. Yeah. yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's normal and it's healthy. And I really wish that I had known that because... I think if I had known that as a Mormon, I would have been less inclined to leave because yep, I same would way. be able to, like, make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yep, yeah, but there's definitely, like, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead, sorry. No, I was just to say that there's definitely ways to, to do it on the mission, but doing it on the mission has higher implications than even <laughs> when you're home from a mission, yeah. right? And you're not, yeah. like, set apart from society or whatever. It's so true, and it's, like, Exactly what you're saying, like, for me, because I started masturbating at such a young age and already the guilt was, like, so bad, like, I would instantly feel disgusting, like, self-hatred, like, I, and then I would also feel even more guilty because I would repent, you know, I'd be like, God, I'm never doing this again, I promise, and then, like, two days later, I'm like, sorry, I did (laughs) it again, but I promise it'll be the last time. And then when I went through the temple, I remember I think that was, like, the longest I ever went without masturbating. And I was like, oh, my God, I can finally do it. And then I broke down one day because I just, like, couldn't fuck it. Like, I couldn't handle it anymore. I was, like, losing my mind. 
And then when I did it, I felt so much guilt because I was like, oh, I went through the temple and like I, I masturbated by wearing my garment. Like I'm the worst. Like that's like right. the most awful sin and blah, blah, blah. And then, but yeah, like you're saying, I feel like if that wasn't an issue in the Mormon church, I probably would have left later on, probably, to be honest. Like I would have been like, oh, okay, maybe I can do it. But for me, it was so much like, yeah, what you're saying, self-hate constantly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, but the the church has lots of ways of putting people down, and especially women. And um, you know, that's one aspect. I mean, the mission is also uh, an interesting incubator of sexism in and of itself. Yeah, um, I, I had was, I had some very bad experiences at the MTC. Um, I remember there was one elder. Uh, he ranked all of the sisters' butts in order from, like, you know, least desirable to most desirable. Or he, like, categorized them in some way. Wow. And he was, like, he was in one of my classes. And um, I don't exactly remember what happened after that, but I do remember that I got sent to anger management. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Because of some some way that I reacted to him. So this is the same elder, by the way, this boy, who was trying to tell me that slavery wasn't as bad as we think it was. So, yeah. Take that with a grain of salt. What a piece but, of shit. Um, <laughs> I can't even. Like, I wish you could see my jaw is literally on the ground. Like, what the yeah. fuck? Yeah, I wow. mean, and that's, these are just, like, little snippets that I can remember. I'm sure there was, like, lots of these sorts of stupid things going on throughout the day, but um, I, so they told me I had to go to anger management, but before I did that, I had to meet with, like, um, one of the leaders of the MTC, I don't know if he was, like, a counselor of the presidency there, I have no idea who he was. Um, So I go to meet with him, and his first thing out of his mouth is, oh, why are you even here? You're much too pretty to be a missionary. (gasps) And I was like, uh, okay. And uh, obviously that kind of like set the tone. Cause I got mad at that. You know, he, as I was talking, he was like, you sound like a feminist. And I was like, yeah, I am. No, okay. And like, fuck you, you know? Um, and he was saying to me that like his response to my complaining, like, Hey, this elder is objectifying women and then doing it in front of us, like, unabashedly. Like, I don't understand why he hasn't been reprimanded. Right. And he was like, why can't you just take a compliment? <gasps> and I was like. No, it's not. Lisa, I'm oh, freaking out over here. I got. Yeah. Uh, I was pissed, obviously. Uh, I stormed out of that room. And I, I had a lovely companion. She She's like a black belt in Taekwondo or something. And uh, I remember, so he kept calling, like, the classroom, uh, like, the next few days and asking me to, like, come to his office. And I kept telling the teacher, like, I'm absolutely never going to be alone in a room with that man ever again. And he tracked down my schedule, so he figured out what time I was eating lunch. And he showed up a couple days later at the cafeteria and was trying to talk to me. And I was like, I don't ever want to see you again. Leave me alone. And he kept bothering me, and my companion stood up just like, she's just like a super built, like awesome woman. And she was like, my companion said she doesn't want to talk to you. 
she was like, okay. So he, like, turned around and left. Yes. And, yeah, she was awesome. Uh, women supporting women. I love you so much. Um, anyway, <laughs> Shelby's her name. She's the best. Uh, yeah. He, uh, so he, he stopped bothering me, but I eventually, they made me go see, like, one of their, like, therapists there, and I talked to the therapist, the therapist was like, I don't see how your reaction is inappropriate, and I was like, thank you, so I never had to go see him again, which is great. Oh, good. Uh, and I believe they made you go to yeah. anger therapy, like, I just, I can't wrap my head around this right now. Wow. Well, they, just... they were like, you, they were like, you obviously harbor anger issues against men, and I was like, how can I not? You know? Yeah. You weren't the, you weren't the good, happened. quiet, quiet little Mormon girl that they wanted you to be. Right. Yeah. They, they, they just want me, apparently, to be ugly and then to be, quiet. you know, yeah. one that can be just, like, meek and humble. Yeah. But can I also just point out to listeners as well, like, this whole idea of, like, you must be ugly if you're going on a mission as a woman. It's so absolutely, like disgusting and a double standard no man would ever receive that kind of like questioning or comment or anything if they go on a mission if anything they're like well you're too handsome like to not be here like oh blah 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 you know what I mean like it's they never even question like they're just supposed to be there where if a girl does go on a mission that is kind of the thing is like oh she's just too ugly she couldn't get married that's the problem or either she's like crazy or a feminist or whatever, she has reasons for why she's not married, and that's why she's on a mission. <laughs> there's and there's also a lot of um, some of the talk elders use among themselves is like uh, the longer you spend in the day knocking doors, like the more hours your future wife spends in the gym. Like they talk like that, or like the more, the more you Mormon, the hotter your wife gets. Yeah, things like that. That's. That's totally normal. That's absolutely the culture. That is yep. so gross. I'm ew. I remember that. Like when I had this a thing for this missionary at sixteen, I remember that was the first time I'd ever heard about it. He said, like, if you drop your Book of Mormon on the ground, then that's like basically your your chances of having an ugly li- uh, wife go up higher. Mm-hmm. So, like, because I accidentally dropped my scriptures, and he was like, oh, good thing that wasn't me. And I was like, what are you talking about? And his companion was like, oh, yeah, like, if that would have been us, then, like, we would, you know, our chances of an ugly wife would go up higher. And I was like, uh, what? What is this? Like, <laughs> what wow. the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. 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 Cool. yeah. So, yeah. Um, another thing that happened to me in the MTC, I went with my companion, to a temple session and I just remember it hitting me extra hard that day I just was just really upset by a lot of the things they talked about in the temple with women and so um I requested to meet with the temple president we made like an appointment and instead of honoring that he just like kind of brushed us aside and like he was like I'm busy like I'll meet with you in the hallway on like he talked to us on his way to something else and I was like I just I I just am looking for answers I feel I don't like this aspect about the temple it really hurts like my feelings and I'm just trying to seek more clarity is there something I'm missing is there a reason why they have us do these things like promise to be submissive to our husbands you know whatever and 
he was his response was just like you know what that's just the way it is there has to be a hierarchy it's god it's man and then it's you that's just that that's how it is it's god your husband and you and um, that doesn't mean you're not equal and i was like that is the literal definition that is literally (laughs) what you just said yeah you literally just said the husband is above me yeah No, you literally just told me that. But he, yeah, and then he was like, I got to go. So I just remember walking back to MTC crying and my companion trying to make me feel better. But I was like, that was was so hard for me. And it's it's just really, it's just really not nice to be like, you know, shoved aside in that way and act like it doesn't, my feelings on the subject don't matter because I am for sure not the only person on this planet that has ever tried to talk to you about that or at least, mm-hmm. like, isn't upset with that, you know? Yeah. And that, that was really hard. Um, and I would say the final, uh, like, really intense experience that stood out to me from the MTC was on my very last day. It was Christmas Day. We had a devotional because I left on December 26th to go to Germany to fly to Germany. Mm-hmm. Um on the 25th, we had this, de- like, a Christmas devotional with Elder Bednar. And um, so they have to, like, walk up. They have this, like, podium thing, and they have to walk up some stairs. And there are some chairs behind the the podium where they talk. And uh, so the mission president and his wife were walking up the stairs and sat down on uh, these chairs. And then Elder Bednar's wife was in front of Elder Bednar, and they're both uh, right behind the mission president's wife, and then Sister Bednar goes to sit in the chair next to the mission president of the MTC. Uh, And Elder Bednar grabs her hand and pulls her out of the chair, like yanks her out. And I know for a fact I was not the only one who saw that because the entire auditorium went completely silent. And everyone did this, like, gasp because we just were not expecting that. And then he sat down in the chair that she was in and then made her sit down in the chair next to him on the end. Oh, my God. That makes me, like, sick, actually. I went to this other – There was I found this other um, – I, I guess – once you, once you're labeled as a feminist, everyone knows. So I had this other missionary who ended up going to Holland. She came, she like found me cause she'd heard I was a feminist. So we would always like talk and just try to like boo each other up. But she came to me after that and we were just like, what the fuck was that? And it doesn't help that like sister Bednar got up to talk and then was very, um, like, she just talked like very, you know that like primary voice, you know, oh, yes. you know like mm-hmm. friends. She was just so like quiet and seemed very submissive, and you know. And then her husband got up and was like, "I'm like the shit," and that just didn't Ugh. make it any better. I couldn't listen to anything he said after that because I was like, "What kind of man does that?" Seriously, a man of God? No, I'm sorry, that's bullshit. I couldn't imagine like hardly any of the other leaders, like even like you know, a favorite, like, Oopdorf, right? Doing something like yeah. that his way? No way. So I was, no I was mad. And that's, wow. that's the taste I had in my mouth when I left. And I remember on, so when, you, when you're in the airport on your way to wherever you're going, they allow you to make a phone call to your family. So I called my mom, and 
I was bawling and I was like, mom, this is bullshit. Like this happened to me and he's a terrible person and blah, blah, blah. And my family was like trying to calm me down. I was like, no, no bullshit. He's like great attitude to go into like preaching the gospel with. And I'm like, whatever, you know? So yeah. And then I, then I went to Germany. <laughs> but I have to say, like, I do have to praise you in this situation. Like, Cause the fact that like you were in the MTC full of like, pressure to be this certain type of Mormon to just kind of overlook it and just be like that's how it is the fact that like you stood up to so many of these situations and even with your family and like you know you're supposed to be in this time of like I'm going to Germany to serve my mission like that's my main focus but obviously you were true to yourself in the fact that like this is a fucked up situation and you're not going to overlook that or just be numb to it you know so good on you yeah seriously I'm yeah I'm impressed too <laughs> I mean, I would say, and and this goes really for anyone maybe that is, like, questioning, doesn't, like, feel like they fit in, but is still technically, like, in the church. If you choose to stay, like, I, at that time, you know, felt like I needed to, I think that you are just an invaluable resource to changing the culture inside of there, because as you, as long as you publicly question things that aren't you know, doctrine, but are adopted culturally, or um, as long as you, you know, stand up to things that you hear, um, you try to show that being a member doesn't have to be black or white, that there's gray involved, and that's okay, because we are all different, and uh, that's the way it, like, you know, a, a God would have, you know, the God of Mormonism intended for us to be all different, and so... I think that we need to make sure that we push to allow for visibility of people like us in the church and in other, you know, situations, whatever that may be. I I got to a point where for me personally, it just wasn't healthy anymore to keep like <laughs> trying to be that person to try to change things inside mm -hmm. the church. Um, and I had to step away, but I know some people that, you know, are still there and they're still fighting and I love that. So um, that's that's what I felt at the time for sure was was my job was to make sure that I could change people's minds and about you know like their own members right to say like yeah I'm a feminist or I'm very liberal but I can still live the gospel of Jesus Christ or even preach it and not be a hypocrite and um, that was kind of my angle you know or the way that I like could justify a lot of going into the mission and you can ask any missionary in my mission I had a like a big reputation for being like feminist for calling elders out on everything for starting a lot of shit with our mission president <laughs> but I'm very proud of that and I also often say that my best and most legit converts were actually elders that I worked with who by the end of like our, our short time together, by the end of their mission, um, would identify themselves as a feminist or at least a feminist ally. And yes. that for me was like the most important work I ever did. Yeah, and those they are the right kind of guy. Like contact me and I'll say things like, I just like took a women's lit class and I was thinking of you the whole time or like, 
you know, one one guy messaged me said, "Hey, I'm getting married, and I just want you to know that, like, I honestly think you would love my fiance. She is so feminist and so open minded, and those things just like really get to me. You know, I'm just like, yeah. oh man, that. that is the good work right there. <laughs> that is the Lord's work. Yes, that's amazing. <laughs> Everybody's feminist." <laughs> no, I mean, I would agree. I would think the same. Like, you've had quite that influence on me because I would always remember or think of these things and, like, want to stand up or want to say something, but I never really had the courage. And mo- I mean, sometimes I would, and I was pretty feisty in, in my teenage years, I would say, especially against, like, the bishop and stuff like that. But I feel like the more I got into the culture, like at BYU and especially in Berlin, I would just kind of keep quiet about things and be like, oh, that's just how it is. And then I remember meeting you. And the first thing that stuck out was obviously like the feminist thing, but also not feminist thing. Like it's an important issue movement. But um, the second was I remember like I think I went out with you to do splits or something, which listeners, that's like when you like non-missionaries who are members of the church go out with missionaries to help teach a lesson, right? Or some shit. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> I went out with Lisa and I, we were talking about testimonies or something, and I was, like, asking her about your testimony, and you were like, well, I don't really know if I believe about this or this, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> She's a missionary. Oh, yeah. She's supposed to be, like, yeah. 100% doing the, I know the church is true, I know the Book of Mormon is true, I know Joseph Smith was a prophet, and you were just kind of like, well, I don't know, like, going in about some things, and I was just like, what? Like, you can even have that kind of attitude or perspective? I didn't know. (laughs) Yeah, you can ask any companion I've ever had or any other missionary who knew me. There is not one time on my mission that I said, I believe Joseph Smith is a prophet or that I said, I I know the church is true. I never said either of those. And I'm very proud of that. Yeah, it's always the way around it. But uh, yeah, and even in my like final testimony, like before you leave to go home, you're supposed to give this testimony to like the other missionaries of the mission and and your like mission president is there. And uh, I was like, I don't I still don't know if the church is true. That's like that was like my thing. And I was like, I still don't know, you know, but I'm here and I did this and good on me, God, I, like, survived, no, it wasn't like that, but, you know, I was, I was just, like, trying to show, because I, I for sure didn't know, and I didn't want to lie about it, and, um, my whole thing, too, was just, like, it's okay to say I don't know, and it's okay to have, like, that room to grow, because you regurgitating things people have taught you your whole life without really totally understanding it, is wrong and also just allows you to leave so many people away. So I think, and I would, I actually taught like this workshop at one of our meetings about this, about when you're answering these like hard questions about like our history of polygamy or our race history or with why women don't have the priesthood, don't try to come up with some bullshit answer that you got from God knows where that's definitely not <laughs> verified by any, like, scripture or whatever. It's, you have to say, like, I don't know, because you admitting that you don't know is the first step to you trying to, like, come to peace with that. But if mm-hmm. you're just, like, saying, like, 
I'm just going with the flow. Like, I'm just going to say what I've always heard. Then you're, you're brainwashed. You're not even like thinking for yourself. And then that doesn't necessarily mean the other person's going to have their question answered and they're going to think you're not empathetic. So if someone you're teaching is really having a hard time with the fact that like there are no women in the leadership in the church and you're just like, well, that's because of this. They're going to be like, okay, I'm definitely not talking to you about this shit again because you don't know what I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Preach. Yes. Preach it. Preach it. Oh, work up. I could just go on forever. But yeah, that's, that was my missionary philosophy. <laughs> I love that. Because, yeah, that's so unusual. That's amazing. Yeah, because it's true. They do give you that those same answers. You know, what is it like um, with women in the priesthood? It was always the answer like, well, if you're a righteous woman and you've gone through the temple, then you know that in the afterlife you will have more responsibilities and you're an heiress and, like, blah, 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 blah. And I went through the temple and I was like, wait, what? Maybe I wasn't <laughs> listening? What? Like, I don't remember any part about me having the same power as a man, like, or the same respect. So, but, yeah, yeah I would just, like, tell people Mental that. power, yes. Yeah. Oof. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was one I heard. I, I can't even remember all of the other ones I heard. Or, like, so, like some would say that, like, motherhood is a form of priesthood power or some shit like that. Like, wow, that sounds shit. great for all of the women who aren't moms. Right. You know? Exactly. Um, whatever. Did you guys yeah. know that the, um, the sister missionaries can wear pants now? <laughs> Oh, don't even get me. <laughs> it was like this big revolution. I, like, oh my God, they can wear pants. We're so progressive. <laughs> they don't even know. They don't even know what they fucking put us through. Like, have you been to Germany in the winter? <laughs> and you had to wear so much. Oh. I wasn't even in the coldest one. And I had to wear a dress or a skirt the whole time. And like, we, we would wear like, three layers of leggings, um, just, like, just all of, like, this stuff you can imagine. Which, we put on. like, leggings and fucking tights and whatever, like, having three layers on, let me just say, is asking for a gnarly yeast infection. I'm just going to throw is. that out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I have had to go through that shit so many times. Like, ugh. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. like, this is, like, an issue with our health. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Ugh. Yeah. So I, I heard about that and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, I'm glad. I'm so happy for those sisters now. But like, that's not fair. <laughs> yeah. I think we've been fighting for that forever. And also, they make us ride bikes in a lot of places. And we have to ride bikes with skirts on. It's if so any, weird. Modest, uh, it is a woman in a skirt on a bike. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is so, ugh, I can't. I can't. We're, we're in 1950s. You yeah, the women have to <laughs> always wear dresses and skirts. Be proper ladies. Yeah. Um, Lisa, I want to ask you, too, because we haven't had anyone else on the, the show who's gone through the temple. Like, it's just been my opinion, and let's be honest, I forget a lot of shit and details. So, like, what what was your first experience when you went through the temple, like, when you went through the endowment session? Like, what did you think when you left? So, um, so the reason I could go through, right, was because I had a mission call. Um, that's how it is for women unless they get married. Uh, or you have to, like, reach a certain age before then you can just, like, request it, right? Um, but yeah, at, like me. At, 
Right. So at the age of 21, I either had to be getting married or going on a mission. So I uh, went, I was going through with that in mind, right? So everyone was like, you know, excited because I'm going on a mission. And like my, I was in Utah at the time. So I had my family from Nebraska come out and um, we all did it together, whatever. My, I just remember my grandmother was my escort because she and I are like particularly close. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was sitting next to her. I actually really enjoyed the initiatories, the part where Mm -hmm. you like receive garments because that was all women led. And I thought that was pretty cool because it made me feel like, oh, they're like women who have the authority to like give me blessings and shit. Like, I like this, you know, and I was like, okay. Okay. So I did remember correctly. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's the initiatory, the initial part. And then you go into the endowment and I, I knew that there were going to be these videos and my brother had been like, when they make you veil your face and say this weird shit, just, like, look at me, okay? Because I'll just be making faces the whole time. And I was like, "Uh, okay, whatever. So I knew there was got to be weird shit going on. But when when the first time we speak is to um, promise to submit to our husbands, (laughs) I was like, oh, this is why my family didn't say anything, right? Um, because they knew that if I knew that, I would never have gone in there. And yeah. my grandmother grabbed my hand because I, I looked like I was mad. And my everyone turned to look at me because they <laughs> all knew this was coming. And my grandma grabbed my hand, and she was like, don't you dare leave. And I was like, wow. Uh, and I had to raise my right hand and promise to that shit. And I was like, now I'm going to promise I'm never getting married because then I will <laughs> never have to do that. I was so mad I think but after that it was like there's some there's some sort of joy and like a pleasant feeling that comes with being part of a group and also now feeling like you're included because you go into like the celestial room when you're done and everyone is like so happy for you and they're just like oh like we're so proud of you and so for me There were a lot of things I had a hard time with my first time, but I think I was more excited about the fact that this is the first time my family had ever been, like, really proud of me, especially since I became a, like, late, like, a flaming liberal, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And it made me feel, like, connected and wanted and loved. And so I think, actually, for me, my first time was, like, it was nice in that way, but that's actually kind know. of heartbreaking too. That it's, I think, probably a lot of people feel that way. Like they need to do these certain church uh, ceremonies or rituals or whatever, you know, to like kind of feel truly accepted and loved by their family members who should make them feel that way, anyways. But I think that's probably a common thing people feel. Oh, mm, absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, there's these like check marks and you have to them in order to gain a certain level of approval and if you don't you're always like the other and that's what I'm facing you know with my my family now is it's not that they're unkind to me but I I'm othered right you know that's the inactive daughter you know (laughs) and so that that can be you know that's another reason why when you're you become so entrenched in order to gain that um approval 
And then when you realize it's not what you want anymore, you have so much more shit to work through. Like, you know, for me, taking off the garments was probably the hardest first step ever. Yep. And that took me a very long time to come to terms with. And, you know, and then the other other things kind of like followed that. But I was like, God, I've gone through all of this stuff. I have promised all these things. I made my family this happy. Like now I'm going to go back. And it would have been better if I had never done this. It would have been easier. But mm-hmm. you know, there we are. And like I did the mission too. So that's, of course, another thing because, you know, people who come back from their missions, they're supposedly supposed to be more knowledgeable they're supposed to have more witness to the fact that this is the truth and so when you come back and you're like you know what um yeah like I had some good moments on my mission but for the most part like what a fucking shit fest then they're like oh like that's not good you must not be worthy like you like there must be something wrong with you and that really like festers you know yeah yeah I also want to ask like and if it's too personal you don't have to answer but I was talking to a a friend who he also went on a mission and left the church and um, I was asking him some questions about his mission and he said like one of the things for him that's really hard to come to terms with now is that he feels guilty for converting these people Um, that he feels like you know it's his fault like whereas the opposite where it's like oh you should be happy that you converted them and brought them into the gospel and he says that for him he feels a sense of guilt that like, you know, he's making or he didn't make them, but he introduced this community, this, you know, religion into people's lives that makes them change. And he's from an area that I think they don't necessarily have too much to, to give away, you know, and they're now having to pay tithing and all of these things. And so it was kind of like I'd never thought of it in that way that maybe it would be the reverse where if you do leave the church, you have this sense and you serve a mission that you have this sense of guilt for converting people do you feel the same way or like what what are your thoughts on that um I I don't and I think a large reason for that is first of all that most of my converts and I'm sure a lot of missionaries can attest this most of them are not still active and that's because (laughs) the church the church is a very difficult lifestyle to adapt and some people just like it just doesn't end up working out for them Mm-hmm. For those that are still active, um, of the few that I'm, I'm definitely aware that they're still active, they they have found that a community that has given them a lot of you know strength and love, and they've found a lot of peace in their lives because of it. And I think that if they're able to, you know, become happier because of this thing I introduced them to, great. I know some of them would utilize, like, our substance abuse um, mm-hmm. programs to help them. And, you know, if that's a positive impact in their life, I'm not, like, ashamed of that. And, like, of course, you know, there are these things I look back and I'm like, I hate that I did that. For example, there was this one woman who was living with her boyfriend and they had a child together and me and my companion who is a badass and also very feminist we struggled for a long time about what we were going to do for our law of chastity lesson because they were like you cannot get baptized until you move out or your boyfriend does because you need to be baptized right or you know you you have like we were like you the idea is that she had to have stop having sex with her boyfriend now until they're married, whatever. And 
it's just, and that was awful. I hated that I had to do that. I hated that I had to have that conversation. My companion and I cried afterwards because we were just like, yeah, like you, you know, technically in order to be baptized, you, you can't like, you can't have sex with your boyfriend no. anymore and, and you need to figure this out. And she was so sad and we were mortified that we're like, two 21, 22-year-old women talking to this, like, older woman about her fucking life like that, you know, I'm like, what kind of authority do we have? It's so <laughs> dumb, and I, I hated that, and that was, like, those are moments like that that I totally regret, but for the most part, and like I said before, I, I never told people things that I didn't believe myself, so I didn't tell them I thought that the church was true or, you know, that Joseph Smith, you know, really had, like, did these things or whatever. But um, I think, yeah, so I was like, you know, this this is what the church gives me. And if you come to church and you like it, then, like, you can be baptized, you know, essentially. Yeah. And so I, I'm confident that people who decided to get baptized did it for reasons that were sincere and pure and had nothing to do with me trying to convince them. I didn't, yeah. I didn't force or pressure anyone into getting baptized. And anyone who felt that way, I was like, we don't have to come visit you. If you want, we can just be friends. I'm totally fine not pushing you into this, you know. And maybe I was a terrible missionary for that. But that's just the way it was. I don't know. No, I think you're a great missionary for doing that. And I'm glad that you pointed that out. Because Katie and I, we always want to make a point that when we do this this podcast, that we're not trying to just bash every single thing about the Mormon church because as you said like some of the people who converted maybe it had nothing to do with the religion in and of itself but the community maybe they just needed that support or that system or to get over an addiction that they have whatever it may be and that's that's a good part of what the LDS community can bring so it's not necessarily that we're just like ah fucking missionaries are the worst or they should feel (laughs) guilty for converting people you know and right. obviously there are things that need to be like attention needs to go to them, like exactly the stories that you're talking about. Um, but also, you know, I think it's really mature and quite respectful on your part to also highlight the areas that were beneficial to people, you know, like it's their choice, their lifestyle choice. And if that's something that they want to do and they feel happy and they're still in the church, then good on them, you know, right. do what makes you happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's my motto. You use those anal plugs. You go to church. You, like, have sex with whoever you want. I don't care. You know, like, live your best life as long as you're not hurting another person. Yeah. Use exactly. those rhinestone anal plugs. They're my fave. Sparkly. Pink, purple, and black. My favorite colors. <laughs> Exactly. That's what I preached. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we should start our own religion and our own congregation and church and just talk about these things. Like, that's what we need to have. You know, I here in New York, I have this group with my friends, and we call it Existential Sunday. And uh, it's not, like, you know, driven by any, you know, specific kind of spirituality, but we just, like, get together and just like chill and usually in nature somewhere. And then we just talk about like life. And that has been the best church I have ever been to. Preach. I'm all about that. Like I don't do it necessarily on Sundays, but I just need those moments with, especially like 
Jay, who's been on the show, just like chatting with him about life and shit and the thoughts that are going on in my head and just taking that time to be quiet and be still and just talk about life and think about the good things and being grateful because I feel like since leaving the church, I mean, that's one thing, even though the gratitude was misplaced, like I was saying, I was grateful for things that I really wasn't or like the church, but that is something in the practice of just expressing out loud, like my gratitude for very basic things and like earth and women and whatever it may be. Like, I think that's still a good practice to have and something that I try to do, but I'm not so successful with oftentimes. <laughs> Um, cause you know, my, my teacher is Brene Brown. I'm obsessed with her. <laughs> like, I think that's one of the things she mentions in her book is just like expressing gratitude on a daily basis. And I was like, fuck, I'm not good about that. I still complain and bitch about everything. <laughs> like, so sometimes, sometimes you need to like complain though, to like get through something. I'm a big complainer, but I like it. Makes me feel validated. And then I complain through my problems and I get through them and it's great. <laughs> exactly. Works I out. feel the same way. It's yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say just generally, the mission is like really, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting experience. It's incredibly unique. I don't know how many other people can say, you know, for two years or a year and a half of their time that they went away to like a completely new place and learned a new language. Um, and also have like this weird schedule where you're like getting up at the same time every day, going to bed at the same time. You can't watch TV. You can't listen to music. You can't communicate with your family back home. And, um, there's a lot of really awesome and interesting things that you can learn and that can come out of that. And then there's also just, you know, some of the, like, sorrow and the hardship uh, that's also associated with throwing yourself into a work that's also not very appreciated, especially, like, in a place like Germany. Mm -hmm. um, don't get a lot of people that, like, want to listen to you. And I've literally been spat on. Someone tried to pee on me no. once. Like, like oh you find God. yourself in weird situations where people think you're, like, a prostitute, which, by the way, is, like, <sighs> so weird because I'm I look like a fucking pioneer woman right like I got a <laughs> super long skirt on and this like ugly ass shirt and they're like asking me how much and I'm just like you sleep with people who look like this it's like embarrassing you know but yeah and uh it was it was a very um it was a very interesting time and I I don't regret it I'm not mad that it happened, um, but I do caution anyone who is going into a mission just to do it. I have seen it break people, um, and I think mm. that, you know, a whole other episode <laughs> could just be about the, like, mental health stigma in the church that is especially potent for people who come home early from their missions mm. and feel mm. like they've failed and that, like, you know, people are like, oh, you must not have just had enough faith or you don't know how to be happy and all those sorts of things without realizing how intense the mission can be, let alone just, like, real life day to day. Yeah. So, God, yes, let's do an episode on that because I actually find that so fascinating. Like, I never went on a mission, but I remember 
being the person that you were talking about, like judging someone who went home early, I'd be like, oh, he, especially if it was a guy, I'd be like, oh, he must have like hooked up with a girl on his mission and that's why he's home. Like, don't want to date him because he's bad news. Like, he's not Peter Priesthood enough. Like, so yeah, I mean, I think that whole stigma around it would be really fascinating and to talk about and also a good thing to shed light on as well. Yeah, let's do it. Lisa, leave another episode with us. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'll come back as many times as you want. Yay. I I think, and I think your listeners would agree, like, there's just nothing better about being able to talk about this stuff that you think about and deal with residually on a near daily basis, but mm-hmm. you don't have that many people around you, especially if you've moved or mm-hmm. you maybe don't personally know a lot of people that have left the church or maybe they have but they're like in a place where they're also really like bitter about it so they're not like very good energy and um so coming to like a space like this or just being able to find people who are talking about things uh in a way that you're like wow oh my god I'm like not the only one it's I think it's so helpful and is um you guys are doing God's work. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank thanks. you. That means a lot. It does. Uh-huh. Yeah. Aw. Uh-huh. Well, on that note, I feel like I've been filled with the spirit, and <laughs> I need to end because I'm getting emotional. So. You've been filled with the spirit and your um, anal plugs, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Let's make a let's make a plan to be just filled generally, whether that's with food or dick or the spirit. Or both. Vehicle or filled in all facets at the same time. Wow. Personally, my favorite. So all three at the same time. We went there, (laughs) y'all. All right. Does anyone have what things you want to say to close up? Any remarks? I just want to say thank you to Lisa a thousand times. Like, that was brilliant and something that I had no idea, and I learned a lot, and I know that listeners are definitely going to resonate or be able to learn something new, and just, yeah, thanks for taking time to chat with us today. Of course. Thanks for letting me come on. All right. Please come back. (laughs) Yeah, please come back. (laughs) Anytime. I'm just here chilling. <laughs> All right. I guess that's it. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>